we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We're up to episode 84 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove with me, Scott the Velvet Glove. How are you, Scott? I'm really well, thanks, Trevor. How's yourself? I'm very good. So um, That's good. I'm pleased to hear that. Excellent. So, Scott, you're away next week and for a few weeks, but um, we'll get some secular opinions out of you this week, and then you've got some time off. <laughs> yeah, I'm away next week, mm. so I'll be back the week after. Very yeah. good. Now, dear listener, uh, various uh, topics for this week's rundown of events. First up, I just wanted to mention organ donations because my son has just alerted me. Um, he he went online and um, signed up to become an organ donor and just sort of alerted me to the, um, the page that you do it. And I think the interesting thing about organ donation, Scott, is that um, despite signing all of the forms, it, the family still has the final say. Final say, exactly. It really is crazy that you go through and you sign it up and that sort of stuff and the family can kibosh it at the final moments, which is ridiculous. Um, hmm. I think that a family member is going to be emotional and that sort of stuff after being told that they've now got to bury their son or daughter. Hmm. And possibly one of the things that will enter their head is, no, you're not going to cut her, you're not going to take her apart and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I find that um, really bizarre that it's allowed into the law that says that they get the final say. I find that ridiculous. It's maddening, actually. Mm. Yeah. It's, I think on the basis that you cease to exist as a legal entity on your death and therefore lose all rights. But... Um because I was talking to right-wing Tony about the... I think it was the French law we discussed where mm. they changed the rule to make it an opt-out situation where you're automatically on the donor register unless you opt out. And Which I think is a great idea. I, I do as well. But he did make me stop for a moment because he said, well, you know, our body is the one thing that we do have and that the socialists haven't taken control of yet. <laughs> And surely we retain some, you know, rights over our our body that the state just can't whisk away automatically. I was a bit sympathetic to his argument, but uh, you know, by the same, I just and and then this law is sort of against that again, isn't it? Where it's, uh, uh, yeah, the state is saying, well, upon your death, you lose um, you lose all rights because you're no longer a person. So exactly, yeah. I would be inclined to a law that said if somebody has made a decision uh, appropriately, then why should the family get to um, change that? I just don't. Yeah. I think a law to say that they can't change it might be a good one. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's. Um I think it's got to be up to the individual to make the decision and that sort of stuff. Mm. It, the way the law is now, it's got to be up to the individual to make the decision and that type of thing. And then the family shouldn't be able to interfere with that decision once it's been made. Mm. I'm, I'm rem- I think I'm do. I do think that um, you've got to allow a certain amount of time to grieve and that sort of stuff. But once the heart stops beating, the clock starts ticking. Mm. And they do have to get in there and get the organs out fairly quickly. Correct. So mm. I, I am a little bit, um, a little bit. Uh, what's so, the word so, so Scott, would you vote, sympathetic would, to them? Okay. So if the if a law was proposed that you know a, a an appropriately made decision of somebody on how they want their body dealt with is going to be final, and the wishes of the family. Uh, not to override, would you be in favour of such a law? Absolutely, yes, I would. There we go. All right, we'll add that to the list of of laws in an iron fist velvet glove (laughs) government. (laughs) And um, just on this topic, because I was... I mean, it it is a little bit... Sorry, it is a little bit hard because, you know, I've never been in that situation before because, you know, my mother's 
death and that sort of stuff. It was long and ongoing and that sort of stuff, and she mm. wasn't... Her organs weren't deemed uh, capable of being transplanted and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and there wasn't any conflict, and, presumably, no, there was between no conflict, the family no. and her wishes. Yeah. No, there wasn't any. Mm. And so, well, there was no, there was no argument of that at all. Mm. I do find it... Um, it would be... I am a little bit sympathetic to people that want to spend some time with the body and that sort of stuff. But like mm. I said, once the heart stops beating, the clock starts ticking. Mm. So they do have to get a move on to harvest the organs. Mm. So. I'm mm. reminded of that thing with Mitt Romney, former US presidential candidate mm. and Mormon. Um, mm. He, uh, his... his um, now, it was his father-in-law who was an avowed atheist who died, and after his death, Mitt Romney baptised him post-death mm. into the mm. Mormon faith. <laughs> and even though it's just mumbo-jumbo supernaturalism, the mere thought of it just disgusts me that you would tamper with presumably somebody's wishes after their death. Anyway, <laughs> that just gave me a chance to have a bash at Mitt Romney for no other good reason. But, um, ah, well, you know, you got it out of your chest, didn't you? I did, I did. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, organ donation. So as it says on the um, register, in Australia, families are always asked to confirm the donation decision of their loved ones before donation can proceed. Discuss your decision with your family and those close to you. So there we go. <clears throat> Scott. I've discussed it with my family mm. and that sort of stuff. I've told my siblings that whatever organs can be taken from me should be taken from me. Mm. And I've said, you know, that's what I want. Mm. And they're okay with it. And I would encourage all our listeners to have that conversation with their families and that sort of stuff. Mm. First up, get on the organ donation register and then have that conversation with your family to make sure that there is nothing that holds it up after you're dead. Actually, here's a mm. thought. How about mm. in your will you specify that you have uh, donated your organs and should anybody object to that decision, <laughs> then <laughs> their gift does not proceed. Yeah. How's that? Maybe there's yeah, a solution. <laughs> Talk to your estate lawyer, dear listener, <laughs> and see if you're, you know, that might, that might actually do the trick. Yeah. That a gift contingent of them not interfering with your wishes. <laughs> People will soon start agreeing very quickly. Exactly. With your yeah, they will. They'll, yeah. yeah. They'll suddenly, yeah. Okay, Scott. Um, a very unseemly spat, I reckon, between the Archbishop. Mark Coleridge and the Queensland Government because the Queensland Government is considering uh, changing the abortion laws to make it easier and it was about this, bloody time they did that but anyway it certainly yeah. is <laughs> and this pompous buffoon so out of touch with the world is interjecting himself into this and and wants to tell women what they can do with their bodies. And he is more or less threatening. Well, Jackie Trad is is one of the main proponents of change. And um, Archbishop Coleridge, good Christian that he is, has questioned Mrs Trad's commitment to her Catholic faith. For her, it may be more a political judgment than a moral judgment, but I have a problem when political judgment and moral judgment part company, the Archbishop said. And um, further on in other things, he said that... Um, uh, but it would seem to me that to be a protagonist of this type of legislation is very hard to reconcile with anything that resembles true Catholic faith. The Archbishop said using abortion to weed out those with a disability or weakness was deplorable. The classic term for it is eugenics. It's the kind of thing that went on in Nazi Germany. So, what is it, Godwin's Law, Scott? We've discussed it. It's, yeah, we've we discussed to, it. Yeah. The first one to refer to Nazi Germany. Germany, loses yeah, the argument. loses the argument, yeah. So, he was the first there, and... Um, Jackie Trad's come back and said, well, I think you should pay more attention perhaps to the uh, 
commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse <laughs> rather than worrying about my Catholicism. Exactly. And you know, that is the thing that I found incredible about this was that Coleridge, he's got to have a pair on him that are massive to <laughs> come out and say that you know, after the, the, the bloody Royal Commission hasn't even finished its work yet. Yeah. And it's already lambasted the, the Catholics with this huge number of people that have been interfered with. And the church has stymied them at every chance. Yes. And still happy to take know, the moral high, the, you know, the so-called exactly. moral high ground and, and enter exactly. the fray. Like, they know no shame, these people. They don't. They honestly don't know any shame. It's bloody criminal the way he's conducted himself. Mm. Jackie Trad said... It's also sad we have reached a new low in this debate when women who have abortions are compared to Nazis. Mm. I think she's right. Yeah, she is. She's dead right. Mm. Archbishop Coleridge said Ms Trad was a member of the Catholic Maronite Church that originated in Lebanon. I think some of her Maronite brothers and sisters have expressed their views fairly pointedly to Jackie, he said. And he also said in another section that... Um, uh, that um, oh, that generally the church had been count, you know, counselling um, the premier. So absolutely deplorable. Um, go back to your parish church and do whatever you need to do with your parishioners, but stay out of a public debate. And comparing comparing women to Nazis is not going to. It's not going to win people it's, over. It's not going to win people over. It's only going to infuriate them more. Mm. It's bloody stupid of him, actually. Mm. Did you know, Scott, that Jackie Trad was Lebanese? No, I didn't know that. No, no, I didn't know until then. Regular listeners will know I have a special interest in Lebanese. See, my daughter is going out with one. And uh, so that was interesting. Oh, you never told us how Christmas went. So. Christmas was <laughs> Christmas was okay. Um for various reasons, Christmas isn't a good time of year for us generally. But then uh, they visited just last weekend and it went, went quite well. So That's good. Yeah, mm. it went very well. Um, Maronites, just briefly, for those who don't know, um, is an Eastern Catholic um, branch of the faith. Obviously, um, came to being in Lebanon and that's its stronghold. And there was basically a guy called Maron who was a bit of a monk and they sort of uh, retreated into the hills when the uh, Islamists took over the area and were kind of rediscovered 400 years later um, during one of the Crusades. So they are a strange little group and where a lot of Eastern Christian groups broke away from the Roman um, branch, uh, the Maronites were actually um, still part of it. So, is that right? Mm, so they're sort of okay. a bit unusual. They're sort of a Latin branch of the Eastern Church. Mm. Mm. So okay. apparently, um, if you're a Maronite um, and there's no Maronite church in your vicinity, you can just go to a standard Catholic church and receive the sacraments. So. That's them. Um, hmm. And we previously mentioned in relation to Lebanon, this is an interesting fact, it's worth repeating. The way they divide up their political system, Scott, so um, high-ranking officers are reserved for members of specific religious groups. So the president has to be, this is in Lebanon, the president has to be a Maronite Christian, the prime minister a Sunni Muslim, the speaker of the parliament a Shia Muslim, the Deputy Prime Minister and Deputy Speaker um, are Eastern Orthodox. Quite incredible that you need these specific religious um, appellations in order to get a particular job. I suppose it helps keep the lid on the violence and that sort of stuff that Lebanon had dealt with for decades. Mm. I mean, Lebanon now looks like it's very peaceful. and that's, Well, it is very peaceful. Um, you know, without... Oh. Oh, Ignoring the border skirmishes with the Israelis and that sort of stuff in the south, mm. it is very peaceful. And um, I suppose that's how they've managed to keep a lid on it, mm. is they have, um, they've 
given bits and pieces of their top jobs to different religions to keep them all under control. Mm. Well, there's still people being killed by terrorist attacks in... Exactly, yeah. um, So, yes. So, yeah, to keep it under control, it was roughly a third Maronites, a third Sunni, and a third Shia. So they did roughly divided up the, um, the jobs according to those lines to keep everyone happy. Mm. Mm. Um, just bypassing back then where Jackie Trad was talking about how Coleridge should be keeping his eye on the commission. Um, Along those lines, interesting article where a One Nation senator I'm probably going to end up agreeing with on something, which is scary, Scott. Is that right? Tell me if I'm out of line here. um, Go for it. uh, We'll we'll, we'll reserve judgment to the end of your mm, talk. Yeah. uh, One Nation Senator Brian Burston um, is saying that Australia should renounce the Vatican's diplomatic status, close the embassy that we have to the Holy See, uh, and make senior Catholic clergy accountable to the Australian criminal justice system. I think that's a good idea. I absolutely agree with him. I mean, I have always thought it is wrong that the Holy See has a seat at the... has a seat at the... uh, UN? uh, UN. Mm. It is wrong that you've got all these uh, countries that have got... uh, diplomatic outposts to them and that sort of stuff mm. it's criminal it really is wrong and I think that it is high time that they were brought back into line and told that you are a church not a nation mm. so um, so they refused to assist the commission and the council assisting confirmed the Vatican had refused a request to provide files uh, they're saying it was neither possible nor appropriate well, in that case, I would say it's neither possible nor appropriate that you have an embassy here in diplomatic status and that we have one in your territory. So exactly. let's shut it all down and goodbye. So, um, well, it, is, it is ridiculous that you've got, you've got these embassies all across the bloody world. Mm. You know, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. So if they're not going to cooperate with us on something as vital as... Tell them to get stuffed. Commission. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Just on diplomats, Scott, um, mm. I'll be talking at another time. I came across this interesting study that looks at, of all things, parking offence, parking and traffic violations by diplomats in New York City. Yeah. Because uh, when you're a diplomat, you, you can just ignore fines. You just mm. th- throw them in the bin. So you're kind of operating as a lawless entity when it comes to that sort of thing, car parking and traffic violations. And there's these really interesting studies where they've tallied up which countries' diplomats uh, are going around willy-nilly and carrying fines and not giving two hoots and which countries are still obeying the law. So that'll be a topic for another discussion. But... Um, that would be very interesting to find out which countries are obeying the law. Mm. Think about that one, dear listener, over the next few weeks as to uh, which ones you think might be top of the list for uh, <laughs> thwarting the law. The Holy See? Mm. Actually, I looked, I looked them up. I couldn't see them on the list at all. Oh, you not even, see them not on even the in the zero column. So <laughs> a bit more study required. Yeah. Um, Scott, news for the dear listener. Um, dear listener, I have decided to quit the secular party both as spokesperson and as a member so uh the reason is that well they made me spokesperson and i felt very reluctant to actually say things because uh i wanted to use very blunt and colorful language as you could imagine and i knew that i'd get into well i suspected i would get into trouble if i did it sort of held me back and um and I don't think you're going to get traction and coverage without blunt and colourful language. So looking at recent events with Yasmin Abdul-Majid and all the sort of other people who get a run on panel shows, um, I really want to be on a panel show and have my say. And I reckon my <laughs> chances are better if I'm actually not a member of a political party because I think that unless you're an elected representative, if you're just a member of a minor party... I think it actually works against you. So I might be wrong. And, you know, in a year's time, I might decide well, it's not working. I'll go back to the secular party. But for the moment, uh, even though I really like the secular party and I encourage you all to keep your memberships, just for my own peculiar circumstances where I really would kind of like to give this a crack of being um, uh, 
uh, heard, I think I'm actually going to have a, an easier go at it and I'll feel freer to say what I want to say if I'm not actually a spokesperson for the party and for that matter if I can say I'm not even a member, that I'm completely independent. So, so there we go. I'm totally divorced from the secular party in any capacity and I'm now an independent agent and clearly anything I say or do has nothing to do with the secular party <laughs> in any official basis. Scott, you're still there. Everyone else is still I'm there. still there, the, yeah. The show will continue without me, I'm sure. We might uh, we we might uh, call upon you as a uh, as a uh, consultant or something like yeah. that from time yeah. to time. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, you know, we'll share Facebook stuff and all the rest of it and cooperate. But um, mm. yeah, so there you go, dear listener. That's a bit of news. Um, Scott, we have mentioned on previous occasions section eighteen C, dear listener. That's the one that says that people are not allowed to insult, offend, humiliate, or intimidate people and we have claimed that that's a bad law um, because it's far more important that we have freedom of speech and freedom to say things and at the end of the day there's lots of people out there who are very easily insulted offended humiliated and intimidated or at least say they are so um, so we should deplore somebody who's intentionally being mean but we can't make it illegal to to say some honest truths that might need to be said scott you probably would have thought most people in australia would agree with us i did think that until i read this conversation article yeah Mm. so 79 percent disagree with people should be free to offend someone on the basis of their race culture or religion 79.2 percent disagree and big figures that are yeah three quarters of the population want the law to stay as it is apparently I think that's um I think it's it's I think it's the way the question was asked exactly and the the question itself and when you read 18c in its alone Mm. on its own it's fine you read it and you think to yourself yeah that's fine then you get right wing Tony on and he said that you know you had an activist in the position that went out shopping for business and that sort of stuff Mm. then that makes the whole thing very different doesn't it it really it really makes you think about it because it, it really upends everything also depends how you ask the question when you say to somebody do you think you should be free to offend insult humiliate and intimidate people well, then most people would say no, you shouldn't. Yeah, but they wouldn't say you should be to be legal. Like I suspect you could frame this another way with the same group of people and get a different answer. But Scott, who knows? Because there's some really weird things happening out there, and we'll talk about it soon in relation to our friend Yasmin Abdel Majed and yeah. her crazy performance on Q and A. Yeah. Um, but that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> but dear, dear listener, on on Facebook and the comment sections, it's incredibly instructive. So, the last um, Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast, I put up a little meme where it had uh, a picture of a obviously female, angry female activist, um, saying, you know, oh, she opposes homophobia and misogyny and blah blah blah, but supports Islam. And the comment section was just incredible. The responses that the, the uh, I mean, we've been talking about the left's inability to properly deal with Islam and call it out for the problems that are going on. And even on the Secular Party Facebook page, where you would have thought there's possibly a, a leaning towards our view on this, an enormous number of people object and say, well, you can't say that about somebody, and they're up in arms about it. People are very sensitive about this this identity and insulting people, and so maybe that poll is correct. Maybe people are so wishy-washy, 
and so uh, trained not to offend that maybe the poll's right because judging by the comment section that you see in the Facebook page it wouldn't it makes me think that might be the case the number of people yeah I think that um, I I didn't understand the reaction to that meme on Facebook I I thought it was ridiculously overblown the way people carried on Mm. it is a very simple meme that simply says you know against animal cruelty blah 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 supports Islam Mm. you know it's absolutely crazy that people took that to mean that we were throwing rocks at Islam and that sort of stuff. It was well, madness. Well, well, I'm throwing a rock at Islam, but uh, but people... Yeah, I was happy to throw a rock at Islam and people were saying, well, you can't do that. Like, there's nothing wrong with Islam. Well, well there yeah. is. So you've got to be honest about this. So it, it made no comment about Muslims as such. Actually, I'll find it here. It said... Uh, against intolerance, hate, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia and animal cruelty defends Islam. So it's pointing out that, that people are hypocrites, that they can defend Islam yet, you know, presumably rally about, about all these other issues. Mm. <sighs> Scary, the number of people who are, um, have trouble with that. So maybe the essential report, maybe that... Um, Maybe that survey on attitudes to ADNC is correct or close to correct, more so than we would have liked. We'll see. Well, I find it, um, yeah, I, I still find it disturbing. I, I do think I agree. I do think I agree with you that it may just be the way they ask the question. Hmm. Hmm. But you never know. Hmm. Scott, uh, central report. Two party preferred. Ooh. What do you reckon it is? Uh, 5446 to Labor? Uh, well, no, we've got 5248 to Labor. Oh, OK. Yep. Um, climate change. Mm. Do you believe that there is fairly conclusive evidence that climate change is happening and caused by human activity? Or do you believe that the evidence is still not in and we may be just witnessing a normal fluctuation in the Earth's climate, which happens from time to time? How many people reckon climate change as defined there is real and how many say it's just a normal fluctuation and how many don't know would say 60% would agree that it's real and sorry I missed that Scott how much was that 60% would say that it's real yep and 25% would say that it's part of a normal normal climate pattern and the balance would be don't know Scott unbelievable (laughs) you are exactly right 60% saying it's real 25% normal fluctuate that's amazing congratulations thank you very much in the 84 episodes of this podcast (laughs) that was that was a 12th man like performance on it was yes (laughs) when you split it up between the parties though people who would vote for the liberals or nationals only 49% think climate change is real. Mm. The rest are um, its normal fluctuations or don't know. So there you go. Mm. Amongst Liberal National, um, the majority do not agree. Yeah, interesting. Which I find incredible. Yeah. Mm. Greens, of course, 90%. Mm. 3% of Greens say it's normal fluctuation. Gosh. Yeah, I find that bizarre. mm. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses... But more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Uh, Scott, we mentioned before uh, denial of the left in referring to Islam. And one of the arguments that you hear from time to time is is a denial of terrorism by the left. And this is an article by Andrew Glover in Quillette. Quillette's come up with a few things of recent times, Scott. It's 
it's not a bad source. No, I'll start looking at it. Mm. Anyway, um, this guy, Andrew Glover, attended a conference um, of social science academics um, um, and he said that there was a director of the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre there um, who opened uh, the plenary by describing Australia's government Um, treatment of asylum seekers, uh, decrying the cruelty of Australia's policy of offshore detention, the need for a more humane approach, etc, etc. All to be expected. Callous government, indifferent to the plight of refugees. That's all fair game. However, he then went on to say, all of this was happening while we spent billions of dollars on a fictitious war against terror. And this guy says, hold on a minute fictitious made up and he said nobody seemed perturbed by what this guy has just said and we're hearing that a fair bit particularly in relation to Donald Trump's banning of um, of people from those seven countries Scott and statistics coming out that in fact there have been no terrorist attacks by people of those countries in the last ten years for example and people Mm. saying well what are you worried about because there haven't been any terrorist attacks. And this guy makes the point, well, it's, we're, we're putting in a big effort to make sure there isn't a terrorist attack. Like exactly. The amount that, of that is the thing that is, the, that is incredible, is that the, you know, of these billions that are spent on the war on terror, yep. probably 90% of it's in the back rooms and that sort of stuff. And, you know, he makes the point about those guys that were intercepted before they got to plant their bomb and that sort of stuff at St. Something or Other's Church on Christmas Day, mm. you know, that stuff doesn't just happen overnight. It happens because you build up a profile and that sort of stuff. You spend a fair amount of time combing through their online activity and then you find them and you pin them down, you know. Mm. I find that ridiculous that people people equate the war on terror to the invasion of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Now that was true. It was it was a it was a disastrous blunder by the United States for sure. And us, but it wasn't. And us, yes, yeah. and us, and England, and all those sorts of countries mm. for sure. But it wasn't the only game in town. There were. It was part of a larger scheme. It was well, the world trade. Anyway. Well, the world trade center. You know, it happened before then. So. Yeah, it did. You know, mm. the World Trade Center was attacked uh, at least once before that. There was a, a bomb that was detonated in the basement. Mm. Um, I think it was. I think it was also from Al Qaeda. I mm. couldn't tell you, but mm. um, you know, Al Qaeda had two bites at the cherry. On the mm. second one, the Yanks finally hit back. You know, mm. it was. I, I do think that you can. <laughs> when you look at the way the war on terror has been exercised, I think you can draw some conclusions that were that billions were wasted and that sort of stuff on the invasion of Iraq that they that they took their eye off the ball in Afghanistan and that sort of stuff and now they're coming back it's ridiculous to equate everything back to that one failure in the United in the United States's failure in the in Iraq mm, but the point of this I, the point of this argument is you'll hear it quite often is that what are people worried about? Nobody's been killed lately by people mm. of this of this origin, so there's nothing to yeah, worry and, about. It's a fictitious, and, it's a fictitious um, so-called concern because nobody's been killed. But that's such yeah. a disingenuous argument because it, it fails is. to acknowledge all the work that, and money that is being spent Bit. stopping to these prevent things it happening. from happening. I mean, yeah, the exactly. rigmarole you go through to get on an aeroplane. If we didn't do it. They'd be falling out of the skies every skies, left, second right, hour, yeah. plummeting into buildings. So mm. it's disingenuous of anybody who would raise that as an argument um, without acknowledging the effort that's put in to stop terrorism. Um, yeah, exactly. So, And people will say things like, you know, more people are killed in the US you know, by ladders or in bathtubs or lightning or stuff like that, which just totally ignores the efforts that are taken to prevent terrorism. Um, On this topic, dear listener, I have previously promoted and I will continue to do so um, Gad Sad with his podcast. 
and he's done a couple of um, ones on this sort of topic where he um, where he said you know um, no more dark alleys and he was basically saying do you realize how few people are killed in dark alleys so what are you worried about just walk in a dark alley if you want to like just because <laughs> statistically very few people are killed in a dark alley and uh, he also said you know in, in a very sarcastic way he said that um, he's noticed that no children in Canada because he lives in Canada have been killed by a Komodo dragon and therefore <laughs> he figures it's an ideal pet for his family <laughs> to have running around his lounge room because nobody's been killed dragon. by one. If you're going to come up with stupid things to say there is no, it's a fictitious war on terror, then these are the sorts of arguments that we will have to say in response. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, gay panic defence. Um, yeah, I don't know what Wendy Francis is smoking. Hmm. You know, it's... Absolutely ridiculous that she came out with that and said that, you know, that you've got these um, laws that are gender neutral, and she said that um, you're going to end up with an increase in women being groped Mm -hmm. if it's removed. So, dear listener, there is a law on the books that if you um, are uh, are fearful because of a an approach from a gay person, a sexual approach to you. Um, that you can then use that as a defence to murder. Um, and the Queensland government is going to bring Queensland legislation into line with various other states to make that something requiring quite extraordinary circumstances for you to reuse any defence along those lines. Um, but uh, the Australian Christian Lobby has come out and said it wants the legislation to stay as it is and... Um, and says it sends a message that groping women is okay, according to the Australian Christian Lobby. Which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. One has nothing to do with the other. Mm. Anyway, oh, they're an evil group. They are an evil group, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Speaking of evil groups, well... I, <laughs> this, this, Lord Voldemort you, and you, President Trump. Yes. You, you cannot <laughs> underestimate the power of Rupert Murdoch and what he gets up to and and this i this shocked me um just how in cahoots with donald trump he is because um dear listener until recently donald trump's daughter ivanka was a trustee of nearly 300 million dollar of a of a nearly 300 million dollar fortune which rupert murdoch has set aside for his two children that he had with his third wife, Wendy. Uh, apparently, Wendy arranged the trusteeship. That's really... That's, it. that's an intimate friendship, isn't it? Mm. If you're going to put... If, you, if you're going you're gonna to park 300 million bucks and say, look, you look after this... Yes. That's a really big thing to do. Yeah. Very... Ins- he, he got a hand it to Rupert Murdoch. He Very insightful. I mean, this would have done before Trump was president but he figured him as a well who knows how it came about but he would be aware of the trump record when it comes to financial management and it's not good Mm. dear listener it's not good he inherited all of his money if he'd have just popped it in an index fund and done nothing with it he would be a far wealthier man than he is today exactly you put that guy in charge of 300 million dollar trusteeship for your kids wouldn't be for his financial prowess no it wouldn't be you know it's so i mean the media's had a rocky time with donald trump but there's obviously some relationship going on there that just is scary scott that is scary for me Mm. Mm. Ah, yasmin abdel majid so last week hugh and i talked a little bit about her and since then the uh, social media has been on fire with thoughts about her performance on Q&A. I mean, we have in the past, Scott, talked about 
crazy the crazy left unable to deal with Islam and we've talked about crazy identity politics everywhere and sometimes you think these things can only happen in America but but Yasmin is showing that this is happening right in, in our Australia. own backyard mm-hmm. and the UK and American sort of secular atheist sources are, are tweeting and and sharing stuff that she's been up to so extraordinary it is but um a few different articles dear listener and i'll just pick out a few of the highlights um this one um yasmin abdul majid the woman on whom everything is lost by timothy coots uh last week on abc's q a yasmin abdul majid declared islam to be the most feminist religion it's a strong field, but this may well be her most idiotic statement yet, says the writer. <laughs> she argues, Abdel Majid, any negative aspects of Sharia are attributable to Western colonialism, colonialism rather than the sacred texts of Islam. She seems to believe that religion and culture are separate and do not overlap. In this way, culture can be charged with crimes and misdemeanours, but faith is always exempt. This is a senseless claim that manages to immunise the religion of peace against critical scrutiny. So that is true. That is a key plank of her argument, is that these terrible things that are happening in Saudi Arabia and other places, well, that's not Islam. That's not Sharia. That's culture. It's maddening that she actually makes a statement like that. Mm. It's even more maddening that we spent money on sending her abroad mm. to these countries to look at them and that sort of stuff. I mean, it was it was the you pointed it out with your talk with Hugh, where you said all that needed to happen was that they needed Jackie Lambie to say, you know, have you seen the OECD numbers on female inequality? Mm. Have you seen where the Muslim majority countries come in? You know, well, well, that's 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 all that needed to be done. Ah, except you know. she would say that that's the culture that's done that, uh, not the religion. So she would say the culture has done that. As so, this is where um, the protagonist, like Jackie Lambie, needs to say, "Well, the problem is your faith has got certain scriptures, the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah." And it's written down in those documents, your faith, these anti-feminist notions. Here's two or three, you know, references. Now, that's, that's separate to culture. It's in the faith. It's written down. You can read it. So you can't blame culture when it's actually in your sacred book. Are you going to abandon your sacred book? Exactly. That's the response. You just can't say it's culture if it's actually written in your sacred text. Mm. But she's really put her foot in it since, if she hadn't already, because on Facebook it's become apparent that she went onto the Facebook site of the spokesman for Hizbat At-Tahir. How do you pronounce it, Scott? (laughs) His to here, isn't it? Thank you. The yeah. spokesman, Wazim Durahi. So, sh- now they're a deplorable organisation, dear listener. They, they are disgusting. <laughs> they're an Islamist organisation. Um, they've publicly stated um, horrendous things about uh, not being concerned if bombs go off in this country. Um, uh, they've they're they're a terrible group. There's there's no you know we won't list all of the things that they've said, but they're not a group that you would want to associate with if you're trying to say you're a moderate Muslim by any means. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, they're the group who who segregated an audience with females at the back and males at the front. Like mm-hmm. the so-called feminist is asking that group for advice. So she went on to the Facebook page and. Um, and asked how she could have done better in the interview. 
she says, um, salams. Well, I'm always happy to take feedback. What specifically was problematic and how can I do better in the future, inshallah? I am young and willing to learn, inshallah. Trying to do the best with the platform I can. Allah willing, she said. And Mr. Darahi thanked her for her tireless efforts but went on to tell her where she had erred. In a nutshell, you've ended up framing Islam through a secular lens aimed at a secular people and conscious of the presence of a secular government. He said, the end result was always going to be ugly. Oh. And, and she, she has said, importantly after that, let me just get the right little quote here, is, um, ah, indeed, right, that is always a tricky one. And then, you know, they went on to direct message each other. So... You know, it's she's completely shot herself in the foot, hasn't she? One, going on and asking that bastard for assistance. Mm. And then two, where she said, oh, well, that makes sense. Yes, that's fine. You know, it's clear that um, she doesn't care for secularism. No. You know, that she doesn't think that there needs to be a division between church and state. And... Uh, she makes I it clear it. she's got a platform and she's using it to yeah. to, to promote it. Other thing I mean, is there that was a very good there was a very good um, uh, Bill Leak cartoon of her this last week, mm. and it was um, it was she was posing in front of a woman that was buried up to her neck being stoned, and she's got a camera out. And she leans down and smiles and said selfie. You know, so. mm. Yeah. <laughs> Other things, Scott. So we know her. We first came across her because of the dispute with Lionel Shriver and mm. cultural appropriation. Mm. Um, apparently, she was also on the drum at one point, and they were talking about terrorism. And uh, she basically said, "Stop blaming Islam." Uh, and she said, "Terrorists are just quote." A group of people that are fighting for identity in a world that doesn't accept them. End quote. Well, there's a reason why the world doesn't accept them. It's because they blow themselves up. <laughs> well, the, the problem is they want to be identified as terrorists. That's that's the. Yeah. And the world's not going to accept them. Like, terrorism is an identity problem, according to Yasmin on the drum. Is there anything crazier? this woman can say well that's everything that she says that's, that's everything she's that's everything she said and it is bloody crazy when you listen to it um this, this one is little thing it's a highly educated woman yeah i know that and it, it just goes to show how a faith can poison your mind mm. you know because she is educated and that sort of stuff and she wears a hijab and that type of thing, although it's all doled oh, up and that type of thing. It's more of an African style of headdress. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, 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 it is. But anyway. And, you know, I found it ridiculous that... Um, and I, I signed a petition this morning on change.org to get the ABC to host a debate between her and um, the Queen of Heresy, what's her name? Ayanne Hersiali. Yes. When she's in the country. Mm. And, um, you know, I haven't seen how that's gone or anything like that. But meanwhile, just this one little bit from the article, meanwhile, a change.org petition for the ABC to publicly condemn and sack Miss Ab- Abdel Majid has garnered 11,000 signatures. Mm. You know, now, oh. I don't think she needs to be sacked, but I do think that she does need to be pulled into line. Mm. Um it's interesting, this change.org petitions. So uh, initially there was um, a change.org petition for the Q&A and ABC to apologise to um, Yasmin and the Muslim community. And Mm. that was supported by, I'm looking at the figure now, 3,047 supporters. Yeah, people were so up in arms that another petition was started to say um, 
calling on the ABC to sack her because she hosts a different show on the ABC. Um, mm. uh, and that got an enormous number. Um, uh, let me see what that figure is up to. Uh, uh, that's up to 27,000 at this stage. Yeah. Um, then there was another Versus petition 3, on... Then there was another petition on Change.org, as you said, for um, a debate, for the ABC to host a debate. That's currently up to 5,000. Mm. There's another petition saying Change.org should stop using, allowing people like this to run these stupid, <laughs> stupid um, <laughs> petitions on here. <laughs> so they're running petitions about petitions now on Change.org. So, yeah, there's plenty of petitions about Yasmin if you want to sign one either for or against, but um, there's no shortage, Scott, of people who come out and defend her. I, the thing that got me about the interview as well was that she was happy to have her say, but she would interrupt and talk over the top of other people um, mm. very rudely, I thought. But uh, when you read comments on Facebook and that, People are saying, well, she was the one being calm and people were talking over the top of her, but I'm going, were you watching the same show? Ooh. Like, she's... Anyway, if you want to be infuriated, dear listener, by a, a left-wing apologist for Yasmin Abdel-Majed, you could read an article from The Guardian um, <laughs> by, by Jumana El-Matra, and here's an interesting first line of the article. To find the truth of Islam is to seek the specificities of time, place, culture and politics. There are no truths to be found in broad generalisations. Sounds a bit postmodernist, Scott. It does, yes. Mm. But I will agree with it on one level because part of what we need to do in this conversation is identify which Muslims we're talking about for different situations. <laughs> and you've got your hardcore... You're going back to go to... And you've got your cultural... cultural and yeah, you've got yeah, your ones yeah. in between, and you need to identify. She says here also, well, I don't know if Jemana is a male or a female, but the writer says, um, speaking about Yasmin, um... No young person, in seeking to defend their right to their identity, should have to face the venom and barely-veiled prejudice as Abdel Majid has had to. Well, defending the right to their identity. Well, what she was doing was she was defending Islam as being pro-feminist, and she's simply wrong. And if you're going to come out with that sort of nonsense, you will have to defend your statement. Exactly, yeah. It says here, Abdul Majid did not say or do anything wrong on Q&A, nor did she say anything incorrect. Abdul Majid was asserting that Islam is the most feminist of religions. She was speaking of Islam as a faith and not denying the homophobic and misogynist, uh, misogynistic of Islamic cultural practices. That's again that reference to it's not... The religion, it's not it's the religion, the culture. culture. Yeah. Mm. Um, here's a bit, Scott. So when Abdel Majid states that Islam is the most feminist of religions, she is right. Consent in marriage, freedom to work, and control over economic livelihood, freedom from violence, were all indeed unheard of among the monotheist religions at that time. In fact, these rights would not arrive to the rest of the world till much later. And my answer to that, Scott, is in the Sirah itself. Muhammad's first wife was a wealthy merchant. She had her own business and hired him, and she proposed to him. And they're trying to say that the freedom to work and control over economic livelihood didn't come until after Islam? Well, you've only got to read their own holy text to know that that's completely wrong. Exactly. It's nonsense. That's enough of 
Yasmin, I think. <laughs> oh dear. One person you mentioned, Scott, Ayan Hersey Alley. Yeah. Coming to Australia. Yep, I've got my ticket already. Right. There's a billboard advertised uh, showing her, you know, coming. Mm. Um, and the billboard is sort of a picture of her and it's got sort of people popping out of her head holding placards and uh, the placards have got certain Islamic doctrines there like um, slay those who resist Islam and, and other sorts of things like that. Mm. And the billboard's been banned. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's quite confronting and may cause offence. For God's sake. So, (sighs) the world's gone mad, Scott. Yasmin can get up on Q&A and spout all sorts of nonsense. An advertisement by Ayan Hersey Alley, which is is quoting effective doctrine of Islam, gets banned. Yeah, it's madness, isn't it? Mm. Uh, be worth going to hear. Um, I haven't bought a ticket, but I'll, I'll have to look at it, Scott. Um, yeah. She wrote, Ayan Hersey Ali wrote an article in response to Yasmin Abdel Majid's Q&A performance. And mm. it's titled, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Sharia? Which I think is a great title, just on its own. <laughs> um, play on words, It really was a very, it was a very if, good article, yeah. yeah I encourage yeah. the listeners to get on and, and read it, yeah. Mm. Um, under Sharia law, a woman's testimony is worth half a man's testimony in court. The Quran 2.282. Under Sharia law, men are guardians of women. Women are to be obedient to men. Husbands may beat their wives for disobedience. Quran 4.34. Um, under Sharia law, a man may unilaterally divorce his wife through talaq, whereas women are limited to divorce either under specific circumstances, such as the husband's impotence, or with the husband's consent and payment of a certain amount of money. She goes on to quote all sorts of things under Sharia law. That's part of the doctrine, some of which is actually in the Quran in various verses that she has quoted It'd be magnificent to see a debate between the two of them, Scott. Oh, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think that... Um, Ma- uh, what's her name? Majid. Yasmin Abdul Majid would yep. get into it. I think she's she realises that she's met a match and that would be the end of it. Well, you would think she would, but I, I think she is so ensconced in this identity, cultural world... She has no idea how off track she is. I think she'd be up for it, maybe. I'm starting to think maybe yeah. she'd be up for it. But whether, whether Q&A would organise it, who knows. But, um, oh. Um, well, we'll have to find out. Hmm. Scott, remember there was a European country where students were refusing to shake the hands of visiting um, dignitaries, and these were Muslim students... Yeah, there was a Muslim student, a veiled Muslim student, that refused to shake the hand of the German president who came to their school. And then prior to that, it was um, going through the courts in Switzerland, wasn't it? Because they had a uh, a situation where you shake this teacher's hand before and after class. As a custom, yes. And the first one you mentioned, the school was picked because it was a... Was a fine and glowing (laughs) example example of 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 how well everyone had assimilated. Yeah. Couldn't happen here in Australia, could it, Scott? Couldn't, po- couldn't, couldn't possibly happen here in Australia. Unfortunately, it has. <laughs> at a public school, no less. Mm. Male Muslim students at a Sydney public school have given permission to refuse to shake hands with women because it's against their religion. I... Name the school, I've... Scott. Um, it is the Hertzville Boys Campus of Georges River College introduced a policy to allow Muslim boys 
to instead put their hand on their hearts as a greeting. Mm. So what are we going to do? Have, you know, instead when you go up there, do that? You know, it's just nonsense, isn't it? And, and this isn't just some ratbag school that's got somebody crazy in charge doing its own thing. No. The New South Wales Education Department has confirmed the school had an agreed protocol regarding handshaking and Muslim students. It was developed following consultation between staff, students and parents. So there you have it, dear listener. Hurstville, boys' campus, refusing to shake hands. And that's acceptable. Well, he didn't obviously go all that far to find out whether or not it was part of the religion because Australia's Grand Mufti, um, uh, Ibrahim Abdu Muhammad, shakes hands with women, as did his predecessor, Femni Najid El-Imam, and Islamic schools do not have e- do not even have the policy. Mm. So it's... I personally think it's a situation where the school has bent over backwards when they weren't even asked to. Oh, I'm sure there would have been an agitator or two in there, and they've just gone, oh, it'll just be easier just to give in. Well, maybe. Yeah. There had to be somebody agitating, so... Mm, one would have thought so. Mm. Dear listeners, we occasionally get messages from you. That's fantastic. Keep them up. Um, got a message from the wife of right-wing Tony who found this article in my local <laughs> newspaper. Um, you know, one of those throwaway um, Western Echo. Um, yeah. Western Echo. A uh, little article, headline, Catholic Bushwalkers. Join the Catholic bushwalkers in all varieties of walks, city, local bush, mountains, rainforest and creeks. Some areas are seasonal, depending on the weather and time of year. The club also programs beginner's walks to let visitors find out if they like walking distances a bit more than the morning fitness walk around the block. Blah, blah, blah. Catholic bushwalkers. Really? Can't you you just walk with anybody? Do you have to walk with a fellow Catholic? Do you have to segregate yourself from society? Do you have to create such an unnecessary division? You just can't go for a goddamn walk with anybody. You have to walk with a Catholic? Catholic, yeah. (sighs) Go and walk in the bush with anybody. Exactly. You know, it would be bloody lovely if you didn't have all this division, you know. It would be make the world so much nicer, wouldn't it? It's been an... Inf- we're closing off here, Scott. It's been an infuriating episode of <laughs> nonsense going on in this world. <laughs> at times I think I'm in the American South. And at times <laughs> I think I'm in some crazy left-wing university. And we're just in ordinary Australia and these things are happening around the place dear listener join a group activate do something we the world's going to it's going to hell in a handbasket isn't it (laughs) it is (laughs) do something help us out here we can't fight the battle alone what you could do you could send us a note encouraging us you could become a patron through patreon you could send us a donation um, that will help pay for some expenses. Um, got a new newsletter starting up, which um, I'm using some Patreon money because it uses a bit of software that drags articles from around the world. So a bit more okay. about that will happen. But um, so believe me, dear listener, this is not a money-making exercise at all. <laughs> it's, it's, so uh, I'm, we're doing a Donald Trump in terms of fiscal efficiency when it comes to this podcast. So if you can help out a dollar a show, that would be great. We'll sort of tap on the back for us. Scott, you're away next week. I think I haven't spoken to Hugh, but I'll be probably getting him or the 12th man um, or somebody like that and enjoy your trip. And dear listener, provided the world hasn't just exploded due to Donald Trump pressing the wrong button... In the meantime, we will be back next week. Bye for now. See you then. Bye now. (laughs) Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends 
let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.